again. Um, I spoke with Pastor Reed today and uh, asked him if he had any specific instructions. He's always um, uh, good in the sense that he allows his ministers to uh, do what the Lord places on their hearts to do. So I'm thankful for that. But he did instruct me to let you all know that uh, our church is in a, is in a pivotal state, uh, p- pivotal position as far as um, where we are, where we need to be, where we're going, what the Lord, what the Lord has for us and what he's assigned for us to do. Uh, and it's essential for each and every one of us uh, to find ourselves in the center of God's perfect will. Uh, not only for our lives abroad, but for this local church. There is a purpose for everybody under the sound of my voice within the local church. And we have to find out what that purpose is, and we have to go toward it. And we have to pursue our purpose with the same intensity that Christ pursued the cross, which was his purpose. And how many of y'all know he went even to the point of dropping sweat like great drops of blood? Uh, So we need to have that same level of intensity, knowing that we're not enduring the cross. We're not despising the shame. We're not uh, uh, standing against a contradictory of sinners against us. Uh, uh, But we have the same equipment that Jesus Christ had when he pursued the cross. We have the same faith and the same patience. Come on, somebody. The same hope of us expected in that Jesus Christ had. So uh, we had an extremely pivotal state in this church. So we need to make sure that we batten down the hatches, if you will. We need to uh, make sure that uh, our lives are uh, lived a certain way that we are meet for the master's use so that he can use us. He can flow through us. We become doings for his anointing and his glory. Somebody say amen today in the name of Jesus. So uh, I'm thankful and I want to give honor to whom honor is due to my pastor uh, in his absence. Uh, What a great man of God. And um, I've been privileged not only to call him my pastor, but one of my best friends. And we started as friends. Uh, and I remember sitting at Ramshorn many, many nights discussing uh, the scripture in the Bible and extrapolating great truths of the scripture. And when the Lord began to lead him to start a church and he told me and I immediately sensed the anointing of God on that decision. And I immediately sensed the anointing of God and the, the instruction or the leadership of the spirit for me to be a part of that movement. So um, uh, I'm thankful and we all should be thankful that we have a man of God that awakens sonship on the inside of us. So in his absence, put your hands together for your pastor. Indeed, um, wonderful man of God. The first thing that anybody when they ask me about Marlon Reed, they ask me, well, what is it about him? The first thing that comes out of my mouth is that is a man of God. And I've seen him in many situations have the opportunity to take advantage of things, people, situations. And he has always opted out of that and always uh, chosen the route of holiness in Jesus' name. So I'm thankful. Go to Mark chapter 4 today, and we're going to begin our text there. Mark chapter 4. And uh, again, I'm on assignment by the Holy Spirit to uh, delve into some of the things that we're going to talk about today, about the leadership of the Holy Spirit and what the role of the church is and what the greatest commodity in the kingdom of God is in our lives. Mark chapter 4, when you're there, say amen. amen. My style is a little different from Pastor Reese. I would expect that you would adjust to it soon. I'm a teacher. Uh, I'm not saying that he's not a teacher, but I, I, I hope you brought your page turning finger today, basically, is what I'm saying, because I have a lot of scripture here. Uh, I like to make my case and make it plain. Mark chapter 4. Um, can we get some greater lighting in here? It's a little dim and dark. 
But Mark chapter 4, let's begin reading at verse 13. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then will you know all parables? The sower sow of the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard the word, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown amongst thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground. Everybody say good ground. Such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, and some a hundredfold. I want to point out a few things here. Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, he said, Know ye not this parable, how then will you know all parables? How many of y'all know that Jesus taught in parables? A parable is a parallel or a riddle. A parallel, he, Jesus would use uh, natural examples that they were accustomed to, like farming and irrigation, to, to highlight or to let them know the operation of the spiritual realm. So he said, know ye not this parallel, know ye not this riddle, or if you don't have the understanding of this teaching, how then will you know all teachings? Which means Jesus puts an extreme amount of importance on this particular teaching. He said, because if you don't know this, then how will you know anything that I've taught. If you don't have the understanding of this teaching, how will you understand any of my teachings? Know ye not this parable or this teaching, how then will you know all teachings? Then Jesus begins uh, to talk about four dip different classes or four different types of people. He uses soil to denote or to, to explain the condition of the human spirit. And he said, the seed of the word of God is sown on wayside. He said, when they hear the word, Satan cometh when? He cometh immediately, and he taketh away the word that was sown on their hearts. Then he said, the, soul, the seed of the word of God is sown on stony ground. They receive the word with gladness. They receive it with a shout. They receive it with a dance. They receive it by saying amen and lifting their hands. They receive it, uh, the word with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arise for what? For the word's sake, they are immediately offended. So I would like for you to take inventory, locate yourself. Wayside people are people where the seed of the word of God never even reaches the intended ground. The seed of the word of God falls by the wayside. These are people who don't come to church. Church is an option. Uh, they don't read the scripture. They don't do any type of spiritual activity in their lives. The seed of the word of God is always, somebody say always, always being sown. But if you're not in the place where it's being sown, then the seed is falling by the wayside. Or these are people who sit in services and they listen to the word and they say, I wish my husband was here. or I wish my, my wife was here to hear this. And they always think that that word or that particular sermon is for somebody else, but really it's for Come on, somebody. It's for you. It's for you. Somebody say it's for me. Then he talked about stony ground. They receive the word with gladness. They receive it with a shout. They agree that that word is right and that it applies to their lives, but they have no root in themselves. They endure for a small time. But when affliction and persecution arise for what? For the word's sake. Our pastor has taught us the difference between affliction and persecution. Affliction is pressure brought upon you through circumstances. 
your car breaks down, you you know, something you lose your job. This is affliction. Persecution is pressure brought upon you by people. They talking about you. They mistreating you on your job. The see the affliction and persecution they arise in the heart of somebody where the word of God is sown on stony ground, but it comes for the word's sake. It didn't come because you're special. The devil ain't trying to stop you because you're some dynamic great preacher. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You're the next one. I need a bottle. He's coming for the word because he knows if that word takes root in your spirit and begins to germinate and begins to grow, he can't stop the word. So he comes from at the infant stage of the sowing of the word of God in your heart. I was teaching about these things at my Bible study and a particular person who actually goes to this church, uh, he heard these things and we discussed them and he walked away. And the next day, somebody came and stole something from him. He called me immediately and he recanted the very thing that we talked about today. Satan came when? He came immediately with affliction. Then Jesus goes on to describe those where the word of God is sown amongst thorns. He said, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word and the word becomes unfruitful. Everybody say enter in. Say it again, enter in. Affliction or persecution and affliction stony ground. But it said, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word and the word becomes unfruitful. How is this message entering into you as, as right now? You see me and you hear me. The same way that this message is entering into your spirit is the same way. And you're also giving credence and importance to whatever I'm saying. Let me say that also. So the same way that this message is entering into you is the same way that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things enter in and it begins to choke the, the, the life power source of that word out. You hear something or you see something and you give importance to it. You hear the doctor's report and it is more important or it is more real to you than this. Come on, somebody. And then he said, the seed of the word of God is sown on good ground and they produce fruit, some 30, some 60 and some 100 fold. One thing that I do understand, and I'm not a mathematical major, but I do know that one out of four is 25 percent. Somebody say amen. Jesus is saying that 25% of every person that receives the word of God will, that hears the word of God, will produce fruit in their lives. One out of four in any particular subject will, for what, 75% of people on any particular subject, for whatever reason, will not produce fruit of the word of God in their lives. Only 25% of every person that hears the word on any particular subject will produce fruit in their lives. And this is Jesus, the greatest teacher of all time, saying that these are his percentages. <laughs> Come on, somebody. And then even amongst those that produce fruit, he said that they even produce on three different levels. Because some 30, some 60, and some a hundredfold. Go to Matthew 13. Matthew the 13th chapter. This is going to be the same account of <clears throat> the sower sows the word. This is Matthew's account. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels. They pretty much have all of the same stories in them. But this is Matthew's account of the same story. And I don't want to highlight some different things. Look at verse 1. The same day when Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside and a great multitude or multitudes, everybody say multitudes, 
were gathered together unto him so that he went into his ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. So he begins to talk and teach the same parable, the same message of the sower sows the word. This is Matthew's account. Matthew recounts that Jesus came out of his house and there were multitudes of people. Multitudes in scripture always denotes thousands of people. So Jesus came out of his house and had thousands of people waiting to hear his words. So much so that he had to get into a ship and teach the word from the ship to the multitudes that stood on the, on the shore. Jesus had the first mega ministry that we've ever known to man. Come on, somebody. He had thousands and thousands of people waiting outside of his house to hear the word of God that he spoke. And so much so that he stepped into a ship. Now, I want you to drop down to verse 10. He taught about the parable of the sower, and then he says this. And disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them that is not given, for whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, <clears throat> even that that he hath. Therefore speak I unto them in parables, because they seen, see not. And hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax hard or gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should, be, and should understand with their hearts and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for for they see in your ears, for they hear. So Jesus, the disciples, the disciples were accustomed to Jesus after he would teach hard sayings. They were accustomed to him pulling them to the side and letting them know what he really meant. And the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak to these people in parables? Master, why speakest thou unto them in parables? What again is a parable? It's a riddle. It's a parallel. He's at the disciples were asking Jesus, why don't you talk to the people as plainly as you talk to us? Why are you talking to them in riddles, but you talk to us plainly? And you can understand the disciples dilemma here because, hey, man, they are part of the greatest ministerial staff ever assembled. This is what we want. We got thousands of people following us and they are the men, but because they follow the man. Come on, somebody. They are the senior assistant pastors and, the, and, and, and the, the staff pastors of the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher ever to walk the face of the earth, the Messiah. And they're asking Jesus, why are you insulting these people by speaking to them in parables? You keep doing this, we're going to lose our crowd. You keep doing this, we're going to lose this mega church, this mega ministry that we have. Come on, somebody. And y'all know they collected offerings. Y'all know Judas was over the money. Judas was like, come on, baby. We... Why are you speaking to these people? They're going to stop giving, huh? But Jesus begins to teach them a law. And it's called the law of use. Jesus said, because to you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them is not given. Why? He said, because they see, but they don't see. They hear, but they don't hear. And it's fulfilled in them the prophecy of Isaiah that their heart is wax hard or gross. 
the issue that Jesus was dealing with with these people were was they had the word. They had the Pentateuch. They had the first five books of the Bible. But they no longer had respect for the word that they had. He said to them that have what shall more be given. The original translation says it like this. To him that is working what he has, he will receive more. I'm going to say it again. To him that is working what he has, he will receive more. This is the law of use. You only get more when you use what you have. And the issue with these people is that their hearts had waxed gross or hard concerning the word that they already had. Do you remember the scripture when Jesus was talking and he, he said, he, he said, you make the word of God of none effect through your traditions. The word traditions there is the word paradosis in the Greek, paradosis. The word paradosis means to give up. It means to give over. It means to surrender like you're surrendering a city, like you're waving the white flag. He said, you have made the word of God of none effect through your giving up, through your giving over, through your waving a white flag. Jesus was dealing with the traditions and the religion of men. This is why he wrapped revelation knowledge and he wrapped great truths up in parables and parallels. Because the person, because there is a law operating in you whether you know it or not. And that law is the law of you use and you're only going to get more if you're using what you already have jesus understood this so he wrapped up great truths inside of parables and parallels and he said if you're using what you already have you'll understand what i'm talking about but if you're not using what you already have because of your tradition because of your giving up and your giving over and your surrendering what were they surrendering jesus was dealing with people that were surrendering an opportunity for a true relationship with the living god they had an opportunity to have a relationship with the true and living god and they rather opt out of that relationship and hold fast to traditions and religion You wave the white flag. You say, Lord, I don't want a relationship with you. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to give up. I'm going to wave this white flag and surrender an opportunity for a relationship with you so I can hold fast to these traditions that make me feel right, but they don't make you right. Catholics do it all day. They'd rather have the nails that was in his hand except his hands. They'd rather have the thorn, the crown of thorns that was on his head except his head. They'd rather worship his mother instead of him himself. You giving up, you giving over, you surrendering the opportunity to have a relationship with Almighty God. You rather have His mother. You rather have the nails that went in His hand. Give me the hands that the nails went in. Give me the head that the crown was on. Give me the man that came out of Mary. It's true anyway. This is what Jesus was dealing with with these people. The law of use that's operating in you, whether you know it or not. Go back to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. To him that hath shall more be given. Or to the person that's working what he has or she has, they will receive more. Mark chapter 4. Look at verse 21. Now, verse 21 is the very next scripture after he talked about good ground. So is Jesus changing subjects here? No, no. Same subject. 
different parallel, different way of explaining it, but the same subject. And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And then Jesus said, verse 24, take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall what? More be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that hath not from him shall be taken away, even that which he has. So Jesus is talking about the exact same subject. He uses a different parallel. He said, is a candle lit to be put under a bushel or under a bed? Do you light a candle? Of course, in these days, you know, Thomas Edison had not invented electricity yet, y'all. So they lit a room with what? A candle. Do you light a candle to put it under a bed or under a bushel? What do you light a candle for? So that it can bring, it can illuminate a room so that you can do what? See. Same subject here. Then Jesus said, there is nothing here that shall not be made manifest. And then he goes on to say again to him that have an ear to hear, let him hear. Jesus said, take heed to what you hear and the amount of measure that you put to what you hear. The original translation says it like this. Jesus is saying, take heed to what you hear and the amount of study and attention you give to what you hear. Take heed to what you hear and the amount of study and attention you place on what you hear. Jesus is again talking about this law of what? This law of use. Do you light a candle to put it under a bed? No, you light a candle to use it. So what is Jesus actually talking about in Mark chapter 4? When he talked about the sword, so is the word. When he talked about lighting a candle, Jesus is referring to revelation knowledge. Revelation knowledge. The greatest commodity in the kingdom of God is revelation knowledge. The fruit of the word, the fruit of the seed sown in your heart is revelation knowledge. I don't heard preachers preach that it's money. It's this, it's a wife, it's a car. Our God is not that base. His, he don't need cars and riches and he all, he has all of that already. The greatest commodity in his kingdom is knowing what to do and when to do it. The greatest commodity in the kingdom of God is revelation knowledge. The fruit of the seed sown in your heart, the fruit of the word of God sown in your heart is revelation knowledge. And I'm going to prove that to you how that process takes its course in your life. But the greatest commodity in the kingdom is revelation knowledge. What is revelation knowledge? If you're taking notes, revelation knowledge is a compound word. The word revelation means the disclosure of something not formally known or realized. The disclosure of something not formally known or realized, the act of revealing. The word knowledge in the Greek comes from the word epignosis, and it means exact knowledge. Somebody say exact knowledge. So revelation knowledge is exact knowledge not formally known or realized. The revealing of exact knowledge. Why do you get this revelation? For what do you get this revelation for? For any particular situation that you face. 
Anything that God reveals to you in your spirit is revelation knowledge. Whether that revelation is about you, whether that revelation is about why you can't succeed, why you keep failing, why you can't stop sinning, why you can't get the money, where the money is, where the job is, when to go to school, when to shut up, when to talk. All this stuff is revelation knowledge. And the only way you get it is by letting the seed of the word of God take residence and take germination in your heart. And the fruit of that seed of the word is what? Revelation. How does this process happen? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 28 says it like this. 28, 27. Says it like this. He said that the candle of the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Searching all the inward parts of the belly. He's not talking about your belly where you put food. He's talking about the central part of you, your spirit. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. So your spirit is like a candle in the hand of God. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Your spirit is God's candle. He, that your spirit is what he uses to light you up so that you can see where you are and where you need to be. And what does it do? It searches all the inward parts of the belly. It searches your spirit to, to, to reveal to you what holds you back. To reveal to you what to do and when to do it. When does he light that candle? When he reveals to you something. Have you ever sat in a service and all of a sudden the preacher was preaching something and all of a sudden you felt the spirit of God tell you something on the inside? Or you would take it. Sometimes it happens to me in some of the most natural positions in life. Showering. You know, come on. I'm not doing something spiritually great here. I'm washing, my, I'm washing up here. I'm taking a shower. And you get revelation knowledge. You ever thought about something, how to do something? You said all of a sudden the light bulb came on. What was that light bulb? That was revelation knowledge to you. That was the what to do and when to do and how to do that, that illuminated your spirit. Have you ever sat in this service and you heard the Lord say, get rid of this relationship or get rid of that relationship? Guess what that was? That was revelation knowledge too. Have you, when you, and let me ask you a question. To be honest with me, I've been here. I have had that happen to me, and, I, and it seemed like the strength to do it was released immediately when I heard it. it was like, God can do this. I can. Or you got a business idea, and you sat there on your bed up until 4 o'clock in the morning. You could see how this business could affect the kingdom of God and how many people could get blessed by it, but you sat on it for a week, and you sat on it for two weeks, and then you sat on it for three weeks, and all of a sudden you don't even have the faith to do it anymore. You sat on that phone call when you were supposed to call Junebug and say, we can't date no more. And then six months later, you and Junebug still shacked up, right? Still doing it, Larry. Jesus. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Y'all getting something out of this yet? 1 John chapter 2. Am I talking fast? I'm not talking too fast. Y'all thinking too slow. Come on, check up. Catch up here. First John chapter 2, look, verse 20 says, But you have an unction, everybody say unction, from the Holy One, and you know some things. S- some things. A couple things. 
all things. You have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. The word unction is the word anointing. You have an anointing. The word anointing is ability. The anointing of God is God's ability on you to do what he tells you to do. Whenever you receive heavenly instruction, you also need heavenly substance to help you. Because how many of y'all know that when that you weak most of the time? How many of y'all know on your best day you ain't bad enough to box with God? On your best day, you're but a pile of dirt and mud on your best day. Come on, somebody. You can't hear God clearly clearly at all on your best day. You can't. So you need God's anointing to help you do what he has called you to do. So the scripture says you have an anointing, an ability from the Holy One, and you know all things. That word know is the word gnosis, epignosis, exact knowledge. You have exact knowledge into some things. Not all things to solve the world's problems, all things concerning your life. And it says you have an anointing, an ability to complete the knowing that you have. That's why when you receive that revelation, you felt that anointing to do what he told you to do. Because let me say it like this. Sometimes the knowing and the power to do what he's told you to do, sometimes they seem... Uh, the same time, sometimes they seem they so it's so seamless that it seems they, like they come at the same time. But here's the thing: God teaches us kinesthetically. He does not teach us like I'm teaching you right now. I'm lecturing. You're sitting. You're taking notes, or you're you're looking at me for the next thing that I'm going to say, and you already know that I know what I'm going to say. So you're just sitting here in a space of time listening. Okay? God does not teach us like that. How does God teach us? He teaches us, you know as you go. Kinesthetic teaching. You know, he teaches you like an apprentice. When a senior man teaches an apprentice something, he's teaching him on-the-job training. You know as you go. And watch this. The power of God is released as you go. It's not released before you go. We sit down and we like to wait till the whole plan is unveiled and revealed before us. And, and we sense the anointing of the Holy Ghost kicking us in the tail to tell us to go. No, God is saying, you know as you go. You only know a little bit. You only know the first step. But when you take that first step, guess what? The power of God, the ability of God will come upon you to complete that step. And when you by faith get ready to take that next step, guess what? The anointing of God, the ability of God will kick in for you to take that next step. God is not into wasting any ability here. He's not wasting any ability on you. You know as you go, and the power of God is released when you go. You have an ability from the Holy One, and you know all things. You have revelation into all things. Say that with me. I know all things. I know all things, and I have the power to complete what God tells me to do in the name of Jesus. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. When you get there, say amen. Look at verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice... And all guile and all hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. As newborn babes, somebody say newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. 
He said, as newborn babes, all of us should desire the sincere milk of the word of God that we may grow thereby. Now go to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews, the fifth chapter. We're going to add to this. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. So is it safe to say that the word of God is full of milk? Desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. What do babies need to grow? Milk. Is it safe to say that the scripture is milk? Let me show you. Hebrews 5, look at verse 12. For when, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of what? And not of what? For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a what? But strong meat belongeth to them that are of what? Full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So Paul came back, or he was writing a letter. We believe the writer is Paul. He doesn't address it as he did all of his other, other letters as Paul, but you would understand because Paul was a Hebrew and he wanted them to receive this word, so he excluded himself from, the, from being the author of the writing so that they could receive uh, the word of righteousness. But Paul said, at the time when you should be teachers, you have a need for somebody to teach you again. What are the principal oracles of the word of God? And he said, you are in need of milk and not of strong meat. And he said, everybody that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. But he is a baby. But strong meaning for those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. The original translation denotes that he's talking about your spiritual senses exercise to discern both good and evil if peter said to desire the sincere milk of the word of god and paul said that you have need of milk again that somebody teach you again would be the the principal oracles what are the principal oracles the principal oracles are everything that's found in the scripture you mean to tell me you still struggling with walking in love he's saying you still struggling with with giving and receiving are you kidding me you're still struggling with the rudimentary issues of the scripture? He said you should be teaching. He said, but you have need of milk again. Milk is for babies. You have need of milk again. Why? He said, because strong meat is, is reserved. Strong meat sounds like it is reserved for a select person. Strong meat is for those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, their spiritual senses senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I'm going to say this, and I hope not to offend, but it's true anyway. And if it's wrong, I'll let my pastor correct it. God wants to, and I know it's not wrong, God wants to lead us, somebody say beyond Scripture. Not outside of Scripture, though. 
Not outside of Scripture. He wants to lead you beyond the Scripture. Because guess what? The Scripture does not answer every question that you have in your life. It answers every issue. The Scripture is broken up into thirds. One third of the Scripture is promises. What do you do with promises? You receive them. One, another third of the Scripture is principles. What do you do with principles? You do them. The other third of the scripture is broken up into teachings. What do you do? You learn, you grasp a concept, an understanding. But once you do that, there is a leadership that is beyond the scripture. It's not outside of the scripture, but it's beyond it. Because the scripture don't tell you when and where to start that business. The scripture doesn't tell you when and where to start that church. The scripture doesn't tell you who and not to marry. The scripture doesn't give you that information. You have to get that information on your own. You got to get it by revelation knowledge. How do you qualify for revelation knowledge? By reason of use. Why? Because strong meat is reserved for those who by reason of use have their senses, their spiritual senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How do you exercise your spiritual senses? By doing the word that you know. By walking in the light of the word of God that you already know. You don't qualify for strong meat because you still need milk. You still need milk because you haven't done the word that you know. You haven't walked in the light that you already have. Revelation knowledge is the strong meat. How many of y'all have read that scripture and wondered, well, what is the strong meat? Demon, casting out demon, none of that. All that stuff is elementary. All of this stuff is milk. All of this stuff is milk. All of it. But you need it. It's needful for you because guess what? You're not fully developed in every area of your life. So desire it that you may grow thereby. But when you use that milk, when you use that milk to grow you up in a particular area, guess what you qualify for now? Strong meat. What is strong meat? Revelation knowledge. You qualify to be led beyond. Beyond the scripture. Not outside of the scripture, but beyond it. Somebody say amen. Y'all looking at me like a cow at a new gate. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. The written word of God is training wheels. I come from a denomination. I I guess I can't call it a denomination. But I come from a place, a church, where I'll say this, a movement. Let me just say that to be greater, um, give greater credence and uh, reverence to where I came from. But I come from a movement whereby the word of God is it. I mean, that's it. You get up there and you give them 25, 35 scriptures and that's it. Well, you know what that does? You know what that does? That makes people feel like, and it makes the person giving the word of God feel like what? They have the corner, the market cornered on knowledge of the word of God. You got to come to, come here. You come to me to get the word. Because I know the word and you don't know the word. And the word, we almost hold it up like it's a shield. It's, 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 a, it's, we, we, it's, it's defending us. That the word is, is, but listen here, listen here, listen here. God wants you to be led beyond the scripture. Because guess what? Whether I'm Jew or Greek, whether I'm Jew or Gentile, whether I'm male or female, if I do the word, if I walk in the light that I know, I don't have to walk in the light that you know. 
You can be some theologue. You can be some great man uh, of God who knows a whole bunch of words, but guess what? So much is given, much is required. You are accountable to walking in more than I'm accountable to walk in. Come on, somebody. All I have to do to qualify for strong meat in any particular area of my life is to receive the word and walk in the light of the word that I know. Mm, that's good news for me. That's good news for you. All you got to do is walk in the light by reason of use. Have your spiritual senses, your spirit conducive by doing the word of God. You create on the inside of you. You make your spirit conducive to receive revelation knowledge. Because God is, revelation knowledge is his greatest commodity. He's not going to give it to you if you're a baby. He's not going to give it to you if you're going to abuse people with it or you're going to abuse yourself with it. You have to qualify for it by walking in the light of the word that you already have. Matthew 4, 4 says, but he said unto, he, and, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by what? But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. This is Jesus when he was tempted of the devil. He responded to the devil by saying, for man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth. Somebody say proceedeth. Say it again, proceedeth. The word word here is not the word logos. The word logos is the written word. The word word here is the word rhema. Rhema is spoken word. It proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is rhema? Rhema is revelation knowledge to your spirit. For man shall not live by bread alone, but by every rhema, every revelation knowledge that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Proceeding means it is a continual dropping of, of, of word hot off the presses from the throne room of heaven into your life to lead you and to guide you beyond. Go to Deuteronomy 8. Jesus was quoting an Old Testament scripture. And we're going to look at this Old Testament scripture that Jesus was quoting. Genesis, I mean, Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, chapter 8. Y'all making me work hard today. It's all good. Deuteronomy chapter 8, look at verse 1. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall you observe to do, that you may live and multiply and grow. In it, in it, in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God, which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness, to humble you, and to do what? Prove you, to know what was in your heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. Oh my! And fed thee with manna. Somebody say manna. Which thou knowest not, neither did your fathers know, that he might make thee know the man, make, uh, make, I'm sorry, he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every rhema that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Look at this, look at the next one. And thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. So God is saying that he led the children of Israel out of the wilderness, did he not? Out of Egypt into the wilderness, did he not? He led them in the wilderness for how long? Forty years. When they were brought out of captivity, they were led by a pillar during the day and fire by night. Were they not? I mean, supernaturally, God led his people out of, out of slavery. Supernaturally, supernaturally, he led them into the wilderness. Why couldn't they go into promised land? Because of a lack of faith. They all died. The whole generation of them died except who? 
the two that came back with a good report, Joshua and Caleb. But the rest of them died in that wilderness. But notice even in his mercy, because even in their, even in their disobedience, he was merciful to them. He still fed them. How did he feed them? Y'all know, y'all been to Sunday school. He fed them with bread and quail and brought water out of a rock. Is that supernatural or what? The quail was there, brand new and fresh, ready to eat every morning. The bread was there, fresh cut, smelling good and hot, piping out of the oven. Come on, somebody. The water was good and fresh from a rock. I mean, not from a stream, from a rock, something that doesn't normally produce water. Talking about if that water going to come out of that rock that was hewn out of that mountain, that rock of ages, who's the Lord Jesus Christ. I felt the Holy Ghost go down my back when I said that. But he led them, he fed them supernaturally with quail and bread every day. Here's the caveat with the food, though. They couldn't save it. You couldn't store this and say, we're going to have leftovers tomorrow. You had to eat it today. And whatever you didn't eat today was gone. That's some good food, y'all. They said a McDonald's burger up there and it sat there for four years. You don't want to eat that. I want to eat something that get old in a couple of days. Come on. Every day they had new quail and new food. They had new manna. Everything that we see in the Old Testament, we must translate it into, and spiritually into the New Testament. For every man, for man should not live by bread alone, but by every what? Rhema, every revelation that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall man live. Have you ever been in that place where God had them? He said he allowed them to suffer hunger. Mm. Where is that place in your life spiritually? I've been there. I've been there when I've been, I call myself a, a Bible thumper. I'm reading the Bible and I'm breaking down the Greek and the Hebrew. I'm, not, I'm talking about I'm in the scripture all day, every day, reading chapters. And all of a sudden you get to a point where understanding leaves you. How many of y'all have been there before? That dry place. That dry place. We're understanding almost sin. It's like the Lord allows you to suffer hunger. Why? Because he's expecting more. He, allowed, he said he allowed them to suffer hunger. And then what did he do? He fed them supernaturally. In your spiritual walk, he has allowed you to suffer hunger. You've drunk enough milk. That don't satisfy you no more. You're at a place where you suffer hunger, and now he's trying to lead you beyond. And here's the thing. Revelation knowledge is tailor-made for your situation. I'm not saying that you should be expecting revelation knowledge every day. You may not need it every day. But for every situation you find yourself in, there is some fresh bread. For every situation you find yourself in, as Revelation says, there is some hidden manna. Somebody say hidden manna. Hidden means that it's only for a select group of people. Is, does, God, is God, does God show partiality? Absolutely he does. To who? To seekers. To people who want it. To people who thirst for it. He'll pull out that hidden manner. What's that hidden manner? That bread that you need to lead you beyond the scripture. That hidden manner is to know when to go to school and know when to go get your master's degree and know when to go to start that business and know when to go start that church and know who to marry and know who not. That's that hidden manner that he's had that he had. It's select. It's only for a few people. He begins to lead you supernaturally. 
Remember in the scripture, and I'm just quoting these, these are in here, but for the sake of time. Remember in the scripture in Romans chapter 8, where it says that for, the, for those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the what? They are the what? The word son there is the word weos. Weos denotes a full maturity. But those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the weoses of God. They are the full mature sons of God. They are the ones that qualify for strong meat. In the scripture, when it says, remember the scripture and it says, you be no more children tossed to and fro, carried away by every wind of doctrine. That word children there is the word nippion. It means baby. It means little one. When Paul said you had need of milk because you're like a newborn, he was calling a person a nippion. You were baby. You still need milk. But for those that are led by the spirit of God, they are the what? Weases of God. So you mean to tell me that when you are a full maturity, you begin to be led by the Spirit of God? For many of those led by the Word of God. No, he didn't say that. For many of those that are led by the Spirit of God, they are the what? Fully developed, mature sons of God. When you are of full maturity in God, he begins to lead you beyond the scripture by his spirit. I'm preaching way better than y'all saying amen today. Galatians 2, 2, you don't have to go there, but it says Paul went up by revelation. How many of y'all know that Paul persecuted the church? He was Saul. He, was, he, he carried out mandates of the law during that time to persecute and kill Christians. He was going on his way to Damascus with some papers, some legal papers, to go and kill some Christians. And all of a sudden, that bright morning star knocked him off of his donkey, off of his beast, he said. And he looked up and said, Lord. <laughs> no duh, right? He looked up and said, is it you? He said, I am, who are you? He said, I'm the Lord God, God, who you persecute. Why do you kick against the prick, Saul? He changed his name to Paul. Paul had scales over his eyes. He had to have somebody be revealed by an angel to come and lay hands on him for him to be healed. And the Lord began to teach him for several years this doctrine that he needed to go out into the, all, all the earth. We are all here right now because of the doctrine of Paul which is new creation realities, in him realities that we have. That we don't have to be Jew naturally, we're Jew inwardly. It's the circumcision of the heart. And you can be Gentile, you can be Greek, you can be black, you can be white. As long as you, as long as you by faith, grab hold to the hem of his garment, he will change you. He will change your nature in the inside. That's the revelation that Paul had. In Galatians 2.2, he tells you how he went to go deliver his revelation to all the other apostles. He said he went up by revelation. It had to be revealed to Paul when to go. Why? Because if he went at the wrong time, he may not have been received. And if he wasn't received, we might not be here today. So it had to be revealed to him, go now. Just like it had to be revealed to you. Go now. Don't go now. This will grow you up if you take it. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. What's my time? What's my time looking like here? What's that? Oh. You just broke my heart. Just want you to know you just really ruined my day with that. 
Well, I'm not going to take as many liberties as our pastor, but can I take one or two? Say that again. God, all right. Ephesians chapter 1. I promise you I ain't going to have you here all day. Trust me. Ephesians chapter 1. <clears throat> this is a good prayer for everybody to read over themselves. I read it every day. But one day I read it and it felt like something took me by the, by the heel of my feet and juggled me up and down. I felt like shouting and flipping over the top of my head in that room. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, 16 says, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Look here. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ... The Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of what? Wisdom and what? Revelation in the knowledge of him. Oh. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of your calling, of his calling, and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in his saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and you all know the rest, set him at his own right hand, far above principalities and powers. We all know that scripture. But look what the scripture says. He said that Paul said that I pray for you that you receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So that means the more you grow in the knowledge of him, who is he? Christ. Who is Christ? Is it not? Is he not his word? In the beginning was the Logos, meaning Jesus. And the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. Verse 14 says, and the Logos was made flesh and dwelt among us. So in the knowledge of him who is the Logos, you will receive what? The spirit of wisdom and revelation. That means when you receive the word of God and you study the word of God and you grow in the knowledge of the word of God, there is a next level dimension of, of leadership. And that is you will receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Revelation is when the plan is revealed to you. Wisdom is how to carry out that plan. Don't you want some revelation and some, don't you want to abide with you at all times? The spirit of wisdom and revelation, not just a couple drops of revelation knowledge and a couple nuggets of wisdom, but the spirit of wisdom and revelation walking with you and talking with you and talking to you when you sleep and when you wake up and when you take a shower and when you're washing dishes and when you're helping the kids with the homework. You got the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge. Of him. Revelation is what to do. When you receive the revelation, you receive the power to do what you need to do. But how do y'all know that the revelation and the power is just two-thirds of the battle? Now you need to know how to do it. You need to know how to channel that ability, how to channel that power in a direction that you need to be. The spirit of wisdom and revelation, it is found in the knowledge of the word of God, in the knowledge of him. And then it says what? That the eyes of your understanding, your spiritual understanding. Because some stuff you can't, some stuff you can only understand so long with your natural mind. You need some spiritual understanding to take you further. That the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. So these are the things that we should expect when we receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Number one, when you receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. You will see why you stumble. 
You will see why you fall. You will see why you don't excel. You will see when and what to do. The spirit of wisdom and revelation will, number one, enlighten your eyes. The eyes of your understanding will be enlightened. Number two, it will enlighten your eyes to what? That you may know what is the hope of whose calling? His. Hope is confident expectation. That you will know what is confidently expected of you. What is the confident expectation of the person that placed the calling on your life? So many times we get out of the confident expectation. We don't know what's, we may know we called to do something, but we don't know what's expected of us. So we then, through ambition, come on somebody, through ambition, try to make up our own expectations. We come up with 17 goals that we're going to do by the end of the year. Somebody said to me, well, what's your goal for your ministry? I don't have a, you know what my goal is? To be more led in 2011 than I was in 2010. That's the only goal for this ministry, to be more led this year than I was last year. Because you start coming up with goals through your ambitions. And guess what? When you don't meet them, you start lying. You don't meet them, you start feeling like a failure. But don't set no goal. The only goal that you have is to receive more revelation this year than you did in the previous year. That the truth through the you would know you will have confidently you will confidently know what's expected of you by the person that called you. If I'm called to pastor, I need to know what's confidently expected of me. I might not pastor 10,000 people. That might not be my expectation. It may be 150 people. Then guess what? So what? long as when I stand before him, I hear, well done. You did what I told you to do. That the, the, uh, the, you will know what is the hope of your calling. And look, here's the third thing. And you will know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That means that Jesus Christ has an inheritance in the saints and is rich and full of glory. You know what he's talking about? Esteeming. That I would know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. If I understand what the riches of the manifest presence of God, of his inheritance in us, then I would treat you better. I will prefer you more than I prefer myself. I will value you more than I value me. Why? Because I know he has an inheritance in us all and is glorious in us all. I'm not just the one at the top and y'all just the y'all just the people that are sitting in the chairs and I'm the great, powerful, wonderful preacher. No, I will respect the call of God on your life. I will, I will value the call of God on your life and I will encourage you to get what God called you to be because we're only as weak as our weakest link. I need you to succeed. I need you to find out what God has called you to do so this whole train can get to moving. The whole train. And what is the exceeding greatness? This is the last thing. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power that he worked in Jesus Christ? So the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened to know what? When you receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding, your spiritual understanding will be enlightened to three things. To the hope of your calling. So you can know what's confidently expected of you. Number two, to the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what his inheritance is in us. And number three, the eyes of your understanding will be enlightened to this great miracle working, dead raising, raising Christ from the dead power that was worked or worked in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead. 
How far did he raise Jesus from hell all the way up to the point where he was sitting over principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places? And he sat down at the right hand of God and is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstools. Who is going to make his enemies his footstools? Point to yourself and say, me! How are you going to do that when the eyes of your understanding is enlightened to know that invested in you is the same resurrecting power that God used when he picked Jesus up out of that grave? That same resurrecting power that rose Jesus up and he said, all power, all authority, all exousia has been given unto me. Go ye therefore. Oh, Jesus, I'm preaching good here today. I'm blessing myself here today. Glory to God. I needed this word. Last two scriptures, and we're going to go real quick. Matthew 16. Y'all laughing at me, but it's all right. You mock me, but it's all right. I needed this word today. Somebody else needed his word today. Hallelujah. Because the Lord has revealed some things to me just like he's revealed some things to you. You need to know what to do with this stuff. You need to know what to expect from this. It's more out of this experience than what you've experienced heretofore. It's more in this experience than what you've experienced so far. It's more than just getting up and reading your chapter in the Bible and doing your prayer and your praying in tongues and making your confessions over yourself in the mirror. It's more to this than that. It's the leadership of the Spirit is being led by every word that falls out of his mouth. Matthew 16, look at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that you are John the Baptist. Others say you Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said, Then a number, Whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, everybody say, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is Jesus' response to him. Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not what? Revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in what? In heaven. Verse 18, and I say unto thee, thou art, that, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So Jesus came to his closest followers, and he asked them, Whom do men say that I am? He said, that they, they said that they say you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're Jeremiah, you're one of the prophets. He said, But who do you say that I am? Nobody else had an answer but Peter. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what did he say to Peter? Peter, flesh and blood have not revealed this unto you. Your natural senses did not pick this up. Your spiritual sense picked this up. My father revealed it to you from heaven. My father gave you revelation about who I was. And then he said, upon this rock, what is that rock? Not Peter. The rock is the revelation that Jesus is who he said he was. And upon this rock of me being Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. 
And then he said, Peter, I'm going to give unto you something. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, he said. So what are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? I've heard it taught. Peter is going to be the one that welcomes you into heaven when you get there. He is the janitor. He has the key. He is the one that's going to open the gate and welcome you into the kingdom of heaven. You have made it. You have endured. Welcome and enter into thy mansion. For I am Peter and I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Not so. Go to Second Peter chapter 1 and this is our last scripture. Ain't you glad? Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1. Hallelujah. If God, if Jesus said that God, that Peter received the keys of the kingdom of heaven, then we should see that manifested in Peter's life. We should see him operate the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus said, with these keys, you will begin to bind and loose. But we got to find out what this key is. What is the key? Second Peter. Did I say that? Okay, I'm in first Peter. Second Peter. We're going to look at chapter one. Look at verse 16. <clears throat> For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory whom, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What is he talking about here? Peter is referencing an event that happened when he was with Jesus. Remember, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus transfigured. He was transformed. The word transform is the word metamorpho. It means to be transformed from the inside out. He was transfigured before Peter, James, and John, and the Bible says that they couldn't describe it. All they said was that his raiment shined like the noonday sun, and he was bright, and they couldn't even barely look at him because he was so bright. What did they see? They saw the transforming spirit of the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And then appeared unto them Moses and Elijah standing next to Jesus in the air talking to Jesus. Oh my God. What did Peter say? He said, it's good for us to be here. Shall we make a, a what did he say? Shall we make a memorial for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah? What was Peter trying to do? He was trying to put Jesus on the same level with Moses and Elijah. And the Bible says that as he yet spake. I mean, Peter was barely getting the words out of his mouth. There came a booming voice from heaven. And it said, no, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I know you love Moses and I know you love Elijah. But this is the man of the hour right here. This is the man that, that, that Moses resembled. This is the man that Elijah was talking about when he prophesied. Come on, somebody. So Peter is recounting this event. Go back. Second Peter chapter one. He said, for we have not follow cunning devised fables. Verse 17, for he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son to whom I am well pleased. And look, and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mountain. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place unto the day dawn and the day star ariseth in your heart. This is the key to the kingdom of heaven. This process of the law of use. 
He said, we, even though I saw that great miracle on that mountain, we have a more sure word of prophecy that you do well to pay attention to it. He said, when you pay attention, when you pay attention, when you give the proper attention to this more sure word of prophecy, he said, there will be a light that will shine in a dark place. Where in that dark place? On the inside of you. Until the day dawns. You ever see the sun dawning? And then the day star, the full day star ariseth in your heart. Who is that day star? The Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prayed that what? That Christ be formed in us. So when you do the word of God, the milk of the word of God, you qualify for what? For the meat of the word. And when you receive revelation knowledge, which is the meat of the word, Peter said you do well to pay attention to that revelation knowledge. And to that, see, because by reason of use, that light, that flicker of light, guess what's going to do when you pay attention to it? It's going to get brighter. It's going to get bigger to the point where it's like the dawn, the, the sun dawning in the east to the point so much where it's going to be like the noonday sun, like the day star arising in your heart, like the Lord Jesus Christ standing up and be a, being a grown man in your heart. And to the point where every move that you make, you look like Jesus. Everything that you say, you sound like Jesus. Come on, somebody. Till the day star ariseth in your heart. Till I can't look at you and your actions and distinguish you and your actions from Jesus Christ and his actions. It's only by strong meat. It's only by revelation knowledge. It has to be revealed to you who Jesus Christ is just like it was revealed to Peter. And the more you do what he tells you to do, the more you find yourself in the center of his perfect will, the more you find yourself looking more like him. Stand to your feet. Lift your hands. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a lamp.